dedication, discipline, passion, sacrifice, rise and rise again. Welcome to Any Given Chance. Hi everyone, just wanted to touch base before you watch this episode on Travis Wolfgram, an absolute warrior and one of my good friends. You'll see the other side of racing in this podcast. Uh, Trav had a, a huge fall while he was at the top of his game and just the process and the emotional highs and lows that come with it. Unfortunately, after filming this episode, Trav got the news that uh, they will not be letting him ride again due to his pain management being a banned substance and also just on doctor's advice that they don't think it's a good idea with his neck and, he, and he's swelling on the brain. So I spoke to Trav and I just asked him what he, what he wanted to do because obviously he's emotionally hurt, something taken away that he put his whole life and his pride and passion in. He's such a genuine man, but he's still got that inside him. He goes, look, let's just see what the, the doctors say this, but let's just see what the next six months you know, holds. He's gonna have a look at other paths, other ways to strengthen his body. So if anyone out there knows anything after watching this podcast or anyone we can put in touch with Trav to help with his rehab, I mean, it's nothing short of amazing. And this is what the podcast is about. So I hope you enjoy the interview. And like I said, get in contact with us if you know anyone who can help out Trav and his road to recovery. Thanks. Massive shout out to our sponsor, Squad Athletica. Guys, this training gears, you've got the training singlets, the shirts, they've got absolutely everything. They've got the 12-inch shorts, the 16, everything that you need for the running. It doesn't stop there. They've got yoga mats, they've got drink bottles, they've got you covered at all bases. I'm telling you, this training gear is rivaling Nike, it's rivaling Under Armour, it's at the forefront. And the best thing about it is it's right here on the Gold Coast, so supportable local business. You can jump over to their Instagram, it's at SQD Athletica, or you can jump online and check out their shop, Squad Athletica. Go through, select your little things, what you wanna buy, new hoodies for winter, whatever training gear you need, and then type in your AGC code at the end, which will give you a little discount. That's AGC in the little coupon code. Can't thank you enough, and make sure you get out there and get in your squad gear. Also, Black Rose Barber, Liam and the boys. Well, just Liam, he dragged all the boys with him, went and started his own barber shop down there. He's at Lakeview Boulevard, right next door to the Mermaid Fitness First um, and 7-Eleven there. Go see him, he'll hook you up. You'll walk out of there feeling like a million bucks. He even does like the cutthroat razor. Man, every time I go see him, we're cracking jokes and laughing, mate exactly what a barber shop should be but like i said thank you so much i can't believe we actually got sponsors for the show how good is it tell them maddie sent you we're live boom welcome back to the resurgent of any given chance podcast about passion and sacrifice and what we actually go through on our journey to success i've got my main man travis wolfie wolf graham back in the studio he did an episode with us when we kicked off this thing way back what a journey it's been since then mate what's going on how are you yeah, good, mate. Good. As you said, a lot of things have changed since I spoke to you last time. Been a bit of a wild ride, but yeah, happy to be here with you. And yeah, hopefully we can help the listeners sort of understand a bit what goes on behind the scenes. It is. So firstly, first time you came on the podcast, fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> your, no your nose was in the back of your skull. Yeah. What happened there? Yeah, no, I just copped a, a hit to the head. One of the horses threw its head back and broke me nose. So I had that operated on, I think it was a couple of days before I saw you, so I had the big tampon underneath my nose and blood everywhere. And 
I don't know, every time I see you, I seem to get hurt because I'm only a few weeks post-op uh, after a, a ruptured eardrum too, yeah. so I can't quite hear. Well, that's it. Right you, you rocked up on my bucks. So we had our bucks party and, you know, haven't seen Trav in a while and he walks in, he's strolling up the bus like this. He's, you know, he got the <laughs> Conor McGregor walk going and there's just stitches like from all around your ear. So what they had to do, they had to peel your ear back or something or? So they uh, had to cut behind my ear, shave a bit of hair off and, then peel the ear forward so that they could get down into the inner ear to patch it up and, yeah, pull it back. And there's a few stitches. There's a bit of a scar there. But I think the worst thing for me was when I saw you from the swelling, my ear was sitting at a, a bloody 90-degree angle. It was 72 <laughs> miles out here, yeah. Yeah, I had like one ear like Dumbo and one yeah. like Mickey Mouse. Like, Mate, double-headed. Yeah. Well, where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> You're all right today, though? You, yeah. You're yeah. Right? There's no scars? There's no... Oh, there's a few scars, but they're yeah. all battle wounds. No oh, happy ones. days. Yeah, man. Like I said, like we're actually repurposing your interview as well. So obviously we've made heaps of changes here in the studio. We've got a new podcast manager on board. So everything's going to be taking it to another level. But I found when I was doing the podcast with you that it was such a journey. Like you were taking me on, on your whole life's ride. And I was like getting to know you like in a deeper level. And I was just like, I put the podcast on hold because I thought it, your stories and people's stories deserve better. Like not yeah. better as in better person do the interview or anything like that. I just thought it, if you're going to share that sort of content or those stories, personal stories, well, then I need to do a really good job of producing it. I need to have a mad studio. It's got to be fun. We've got to enjoy it. But your one was really good. So our new podcast manager, Alou, she's in the background. She's sensational what she does too. I'll show you some of the stuff. But yeah, your first one's going to go back out and then this one's going to be one of the first ones to hit it again straight after. Yeah, lovely, so, lovely. Because I listen to them. I re-listen to it. and. You don't really at the time because it's so in the moment and we've just had the conversation, but going back and listening to it like a year later, I was like, hectic. We were talking about some good shit. So for all of you who don't know, like Trav was flying. Trav was actually, he was the king of the coast. He just cleaned up the Gold Coast Premiership. He was on top of the world and as life does, has a speed bump in the road for you. And in just like a standard race at the Gold Coast, oh, Sunshine, Sunshine, Coast. Sunshine Coast, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry just sitting in the pack and a horse has actually knuckled on you and you've gone over the handlebars in a pretty bad way. So just want to elaborate on, on the day and what sort of happened. Yeah, no, as you said, uh, we were flying, going good, come off the premiership, riding winners, good strike rate. And this was just a Tuesday meeting. It was meant to be at Kilcoy and it got moved to the Sunshine Coast Poly because of the bad weather. It was a good day. I Actually, I remember I was in the car on the way up there and had a chat to my old man and that. And I thought this is probably the best I've felt going to the races in a long time. I was happy to be there. thought I had a real good chance of riding a winner and yeah just the mind was in a really good place body was in a good place so it's quite happy and um yeah i went up there i had two rides but i was late so i missed the first ride standard sunshine coast traffic yeah eh? it takes you like <laughs> six hours to get up there now it's, it's ridiculous insane. mate ridiculous yeah. but so i missed that one and thankfully you know for me it didn't go as good as planned but yeah so i was left with the one ride and for mr smurden and we thought we could win the race and had a lovely trail, three back the fence. Everyone got off it. I stuck to it, shortest way home and ended up winning. So it was really good. Delay, you know, to, at the time, I didn't think that that was going to be the last winner I rode for 12 months, but it was good. And this next ride, it was just a pickup ride. Brad Stewart couldn't make it. It was favourite and you're never going to turn down a favourite. So five horse field, pretty confident we were going to win. And um, yeah, jump from the inside barrier. Thought I'm on the best horse. We'll take bad luck out of it. I'll press forward and lead. And this other jockey from the outside barrier just he scrubbed the ears off his to to cross the field he really wanted to lead so i was happy to let him go and he kicked about three lengths clear but coming into that first corner he threw the anchor out 
quite abruptly and I sort of saw it all unfolding and I grabbed my horse, you know, I went for one hold to try and ease it up, but he just stopped the tempo too quick. And as I was going for the second hold, I sort of went off. Like I knew I was going to fall. So when you talk about a first hold, that's like you grab the reins and you try and reef it underneath you. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got to let it go and, and grab more rain yeah. and then pull it right underneath you. Yeah. So, so and because he stopped so fast, you've actually gone one and by the time you went to grab the second one. It was yeah. too late. I was on heels. I had nowhere to go because I was in the box seat. I had the fence to my inside and because he stopped that quick, the other three horses in the field had all made their way up around me and outside him. Mm. So I had a wall of horses in front of me and. Unfortunate for me, I've clipped heels. My horse has blundered and just sort of sent me head first into the poly track. And it's probably one of the worst surfaces you could ever fall on. Let's dive into that. So, when they talk about a poly track, well, firstly, let's go back. Putting the hammer on that fast and then putting the brakes on that fast, what's the rules of racing? Is that frowned upon? Is it illegal? Is it stupid? What's your take? Oh, it's stupid. That's what it is. Because obviously, as everyone who watches racing who's not a jockey, I love seeing Wigo or yourself or someone get out in front, slam the brakes on, stack them up, kick clear and win. So from a jockey's perspective, what do you guys see and what do you guys feel? If you are not the one doing it, you hate it. It's not good because horses are trained to run. And so when you get out there, you know, they want to get on with the job. They're athletes, you know, that's like having a hundred meter sprinter and then saying, no, no, just stay back, you know, just sit off this Mm. bloke, you know, let him go in front. So it's not ideal. And Unfortunately, Queensland's probably one of the worst in the country for it. We're pretty well known for the first furlong and a half of Queensland races are probably some of the fastest in the country and the mid-stages are nearly or if not the slowest run in the country. Does that come down to a lot of our tracks? Because I know Ipswich, Rail Out, Leader Bias, Kilcoy, Bow Desert, all these places you want to be, you know, a lot of the winners come from up front. So is that the thinking of it or is it a training way of jockeys in Queensland or...? It's more trainers started mm. it because they want you to go out there, they want you to lead, but then get cheap sectionals. Yeah. And so I feel like it started about eight years ago. I'm not going to mention jockeys' names, but they wrote a lot of winners for a top stable in Queensland where they would drive the horses out, get to the front, stack them up, <laughs> three kilo claim, get to the 600 takeoff, and they're praised for it because they're winning races. Yeah. But the rest of us in the field, we're all in strife, clipping heels, like it's a mess. And then over the last few years, that person went on to be a top rider at one stage and people go, well, what are they doing? Like, how do I be like them? And it's just sort of, you know, yeah. domino effect. That's how someone rides a winner. That's what we're going to do. And it just, over the last eight years or so, it's just gotten worse and worse. More people are doing it. Yeah. But it's just, it's not a true, genuine race where the best horse doesn't always win in Queensland. Whereas mm. New South Wales, Melbourne, like Victoria, that the best horse will win the race because they run at a much more genuine tempo. Correct. Up here, you just have a, to have a fast horse out of the barriers, get into that forward position and then go slow enough that you can kick and take the back markers out of it. Yeah, I've noticed that. And like, this is a revolution. This is across all sports though. Let's look at the UFC. Look at the calf kick. The calf kick was not in eight years ago. Now it brought down everyone and everyone, but no one wants to see a fight with 72 calf kicks yeah, and then yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, well done. It's just boring. It's like, that's boring. Right there. We want to see it, people punch each at, other in the yeah, face. Yeah, <laughs> athletes. You want to see athletes going. And look, I know if I own a horse, I want it to win. If I'm backing a horse, I want it to win. I understand that whole thing. But that whole, yeah, rack them and stack them, it works well. But I think there has to be common sense played within that. Like you can't rack them and stack them on a $101 thing that's been nowhere, done nothing, 
and you're going to finish dead last. Like if you do that and then finish 15 lengths off them, if, unless you can get control of your horse or you don't have control of your horse, I'm sorry, and it's taken you for the ride, there has to be repercussions because, like you said, this is just happening over and over and over and over again. So for you, that happened, you clipped, and you said you were on the poly. So what's the difference? How's these poly surfaces made? It's just different. So, you know, the grass is grass. These poly tracks have all different sort of, you know, some of them have got like some wool stuff and they'll have some rubber in them and oils and they're just all made out of different materials depending on which sort of poly or synthetic cushion track it is. So it's basically a road base underneath or like a dirt, a steamroll dirt, and then all these soft cushion kickbacks, which basically take the impact off the... Yeah, so it's all mixed together and then they fluff it up and that it's designed for the wet weather. The grass absorbs, it gets moist, and then we have heavy 10s and 12s and the horses can't run through it. So it's sort of made for that, but they're good training tracks when it's cold. So I feel like the ones when I was in... New South Wales, like at Warwick Farm and that, when you've got like four degrees, feels like minus five because you've got a bit of moisture coming off the lake there. Really good. But in the hot weather, they're terrible tracks. They rip shoes off. You run slow times on them. Um, I've noticed that. So, yeah, for Queensland, I don't know if they're the best track because of the humidity in that up here. But, you know, there's people sitting in offices there that know more than I do about horses and tracks and surfaces. So Mm. we'll leave it to them. Yeah. Once again, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, like, there's always someone sitting in an office that's making decisions based on something that they haven't done themselves. But yeah. uh yeah, look, wow, man. So so it's like hitting a road with what? Bits of shit on it, basically. It's hard to describe, like, because if you fall off on, on the grass, you can skid and roll and you move. This track, you don't. Pretty much where you land is where you stay. So, so it just wants to grip you. It just, just bang. grabs you and you can feel it too when you hit it. It's almost like a bloody horror movie it feels like you're sucking through quicksand or something through yeah, the ground wow. yeah so that's happened you've it's knuckled and we're going to show the video trav's been good enough he's got a couple of videos of it on different angles and you can actually see it's knuckled you've got on heels you've gone over but it's thrown you over and the way that you've come over you've basically it's flung you and you've landed directly on your neck was it or straight on my head so, so straight bang, just, yes. head into the track. ground, and then obviously the momentum, like you were saying, like the cushion track has grabbed you, and then your momentum's basically flung your body and gone bang. Yeah, sort of. Was it? Really. Nah, nah. <laughs> nah, I went down head first, and the track just grabbed me. Yeah. <laughs> so I pretty much, I would have stayed in one spot, except my hand was caught in the rain. So as the horse took off, it flipped me over. Oh. Um, that's what the flip was. Yeah. See, whereas if this was on a turf track, when I hit like that, I probably would have skidded a little bit more, whereas I just sort of went bang, bang. But so I landed sort of right on the top of my head. So I split my helmet and because of the way I landed, it caused two compression fractures. So of the T6, T7 were broken. I fractured my occipital condyle. So the base of my skull where it sort of sit, joins your spine there. And then yeah. because of the hand was stuck in the reins when the horse flipped me over, it sort of did some damage there and then it run me over. So I crushed all the tendons and ligaments in my left hand as well. Man, that's intense. How much does a horse weigh? About 560 kilos. How much do you weigh? I was 56 that day. So tenfold. You got this tenfold moving at, what were you going on, about 60 k's an hour? Yeah, 60, 62 k's. <laughs> and then they got metal shoes on. Man, I just remember because we only went for a jog like a week or two before that in the morning and you were getting your mind set on, you were like ready to peak. And I remember watching it going, holy fuck, like Trav's in a bit of trouble here. 
obviously you let things settle and, and whatnot, but when it all came out, you sort of, I got a message, yeah, I'm all right, but this is what's going on. What actually happened from there? What'd you have to do? Did you straight to hospital? Like how long? So I was knocked out for about three minutes. So I don't really know what happened. Then everything was just black. And I thought I was, I didn't know whether I was going to heaven or hell, but you know, she was a bit dark. I thought I saw a light, but I might've been going the other way. I don't know. So yeah, when I woke up, it was quite scary because I knew I'd fallen, but I didn't know how long I'd been out for. And they said I had, like, I couldn't remember things straight away. And when I come back to it, it was like looking at the sun. Everything was blurry. I couldn't quite see properly. All I could hear was voices and I could see about six shadows over me. So you've got paramedics, stewards, and I was very, I'm thankful and very grateful that one of my fellow jockeys, Sam Collett, actually came out and calmed me down because hers was the only voice that I recognised. She was just talking me through it to try and keep me calm because obviously I couldn't move. Like my back was broken, the pain in my chest, I couldn't breathe. I was starting to get like panic and freak out a bit. So she calmed me down and yeah, loaded me up into the ambulance and it probably took about 40 minutes to get me in the ambo off the track, wait for another ambulance to come because, you know, they want to finish the races. So they left me in the parking lot until another ambulance come and they took me off to the uni hospital up there at Sunny Coast. Wow. Yeah. Like, man, that's intense. Like, that's yeah. proper. And to listen to you go, like, well, oh, there's a light there. Well, is that heaven? <laughs> yeah. Like, or am I going to come out of it? Like, yeah. and that split decision, you know, that panic, like, oh, I can't breathe. Like, I need oxygen. I, I need oxygen. And people talk about it all the time, like, oh, I'd do this, I'd do that. But until you're in that situation like that and you're in that proper fight or flight mode, like, you got no idea what actually living is. And, like, you must have been, like, just on another racing and, like you said, like, what's happening, what's – and and not being able to – being knocked out as well, you wouldn't have been able to grab information. You were trying to think of information or something or think what's going on or what happened. Your brain, obviously, being KO'd, wouldn't be able to go, oh, that's right, that, that happened, that happened, that happened. Yeah, that happened. like – all I remember is I remember falling. I remember seeing like sort of caramel color of the cushion track as I went down and then everything after that, it's like, shit, I remember seeing that, but this is not what I remember. Like what is going on here? Why are these people standing over the top of me? Why am I in pain? Because I couldn't breathe. They couldn't give me painkillers because I couldn't suck the whistle. So I just had to wait till I got to hospital before they oh, could give kidding. me some morphine. So. You're kidding. You're feeling every single little bit, every movement, every like slight little bump of the wheel is yeah, like excruciating feel, agony. Feel it all. And when they're moving my body around, obviously we don't know what's broken and that, but knew something was wrong with my back because of the pain I was in. Didn't know about the skull and my hand and paramedics. They're not trying to diagnose you. They're trying to keep you alive. Yep. So they don't care. They care to a degree, you know, about trying to move you in the safest way. But at the end of the day, they just want to keep you alive. And so every time they rolled me or moved me, I felt it all. Oh, that's so. intense. We're talking about like little injuries. Oh, I've had some knee recovery. I've had a shoulder reconstruction. You're talking about situations where, oh, yeah, when they're trying to keep you alive, they're just doing this. Like, yeah. not, oh, they're trying to fix you. Like when they're trying to keep you alive. Man, trap. Fuck. That's intense, yeah. man. So from there, 40 minutes, morphine. Brisbane Hospital, they start doing all the scans, going through the process of trying to find out what's wrong. What's yeah. what's going through you? How long did you spend at the coast? Like, What actually happened in the coming weeks after? Well, first of all, when we got to the hospital, obviously they had to run me through all the scans and to try and figure out what was wrong with me. And I had a couple of mates who had seen the fall and knew that it was bad. And mm. so they've come to the hospital 
the hospital wouldn't let let friends in. So they're trying to say they're my brothers, they're my partners, like all of this shit to get in. And the hospital just was like, no, no, no one's allowed in here. So I was up there by myself for a while. And thankfully, when the fall happened, mum and dad were watching. And dad's a bit like me. It's sort of like we're in denial. Dad's like, oh, he'll be okay. Like, don't worry, it's okay. And mum's like, no, that's bad. We've got to go. He is not well just from watching it live. So they jumped in the car and flown up. And by the time they got there, they weren't even going to let my parents in and mum's great. She had a big argument with them to get in. And by this stage, it's, I've been up there for a couple of hours. So they've done the scans and that. So mum was actually able to come in. And after a few hours of the scans and that, they come in and told me, you've broke your back, you've broke your skull. These are the ones you've done. And I mean, I knew I, I could move because I'd been moving, but like all the emotion just hit me. I was like, can I walk? Like, am yeah. I going to be able to live my life? Like, how is it going to change? And I can get emotional. I tear up in a sad movie, but otherwise I don't like to cry. And in that moment, I think I cried. Like I, I'm emotional, exactly the same as you, but if there's some passion or something like that within you, like, holy shit, like, yeah. man, that's intense. So was this in the midst of COVID as well? Or what sort were we doing? Towards the end of it. So towards people were it. still wearing masks and you know, I was getting catfished by the nurses, you know, they had beautiful eyes and then the masks were hiding <laughs> up the faces. So, you know, the week I spent up there, I thought I fell in love and then I was like, oh, <laughs> under the mask isn't what I thought. I, I got catfished by the <laughs> Oh, what about it? I hope no nurse was here. This and he goes, oh, it's like, yeah. it's if you're, I love you all. You saved my life. You're great. But you catfished me. You catfished. I'm glad the masks are off now. Oh my god! Don't worry, they did it to me too. Like they could see the eyes, and they come up and lift the mask down, and obviously I can't move properly. Yeah, and they're like, oh, we just wanted to see what you look like. Ah, <laughs> good girls. Well yeah. done. But mama talked away in. That would have been uh, reassuring, you know, see someone, someone in your family. I always think that. Like, I've seen Wigo go down. He broke his ribs a couple of weeks ago. Or, you know, it's, you guys have got such a fucking dangerous job. Like, just, it's intense. Like I said, it's so fun to watch. And it's I'm, I'm sure it's so great to be the athlete that you are and live the life that you guys do on the back of horses and racing and that. I mean, it's sensational. But it's also... It's up there with bloody, I don't know, what's that, shark diving or spanner, <laughs> what's the spannerhead crabs that they go down like 40 metres deep? Like it's got to be the yeah. dangerous job in the most in the entire world. Yeah, you know what well, I mean? So We're the only job in the world where we have an ambulance following us around. Yeah. So that's how dangerous it is. And then the horses are five, 600 kilos. We're anywhere from 50 to 60 going at those sorts of speeds. And then me being on the heaviest side as well, you know, like that day I'd lost four kilos for that ride. So. Yeah. You've also got like the physical, the mental fatigue. There's a lot of factors that make the job difficult. Consistently difficult. This yeah. And it's not, hey, you've got a 12-week season. Hey, you're going to train 12 weeks for this one fight. Yeah, yeah it's not it like is, a fighter. They get 12 weeks to do it, yeah. to lose, you know, six kilos or whatever. We're losing three – well, I was losing three to four kilos every single day. When you go days without eating, you maybe drink 600 mils of water over two days and it causes a lot of – like internal problems as well because you're dehydrated, your body can't function properly. So it's a tough lifestyle, but, you know. You don't understand that when you're young. You just do it. And I see this with the older jockeys. Like they program, well, maybe not perfectly. Maybe they should program. All right, I'm going to go for a 12-week swing and I'm everything, and then I'm going to ride it out and I'm going to work on fitness, health, everything like that. I'm going to ride one or two and then I'm going to program a 12-week. And you can sort of let – Training that no, this is the swing to make sure that I'm doing the best things for you. 
The problem is 90% of racing don't give a fuck. Yeah. 95% of racing don't give a fuck. Oh, you're not riding winners? <laughs> oh, you're not? Oh, hey, you coming over here? You're up. There you go. See you later. And your managers hate it and everyone who makes money off the back of you hate it. But, you know, for you as an athlete and a person, I really think all my jockey mates need to figure out a swing where it goes like, and obviously you all can't do the same thing. Nah, nah. Everyone will hate it, but <laughs> it's got to be like, a, here's my peak performance. Here's my peak. Cause you cannot, like you said, waste four kilos every day and expect to be doing the same in 12 weeks time or four weeks time and not have your body absolutely screaming at you going, what are you doing? Mm. We just need like, cause racing's 24, seven, 365 in Australia. If we could just have a four to six week, like an off season to give people a chance to have a break because the problem with is if you say you know i'm going to do this 12 week cycle and this is where i'm going to peak and that like you said 95 percent of people don't give an f about us they just want to win and their horses don't yeah. you can only make the weight for these few weeks and then you can't they'll just go and find a jockey who can yeah and especially at the moment i reckon within the next 10 years it's going to be a 75 to 25 percent female to male riders yeah because the girls are just lighter than us and they don't have to waste so they're a safe option because you know day in day out they're always going to make that weight compared to us men so you're back in there they've told you all your what's going on with all your your spine and everything like that the ball of emotions come up you know i said i missed me first ride yeah so because i was running late to the races i was in the car so i started getting abused on social media over the ride because it was favorite Ah. i I was getting abused over social media for my ride on it and i'm like i didn't even ride it like who who wrote it the bloke who brought me down you're kidding adam sewell was on it <laughs> he picks up my foot riding the first i get abused because of his shitty ride on it and then he brings me down four races later <laughs> what a hell man <laughs> yeah thanks so much so it's fair to say when i woke up i was trying to get up i was going to flog him they said all you wanted to do was <laughs> go fucking punch him in the face. Did, did he get in contact with you <laughs> Did he say sorry? Uh, or did he- the next day I got a message saying, like, I hope you're all right or something. Haven't heard from him since. So <laughs> Is that how it goes amongst the, the jockeys clubs? Like a half of his mates and half of his don't know each other or what's the go? Because you yeah. spend a lot of time in different tracks and meet a lot of different people, but I guess you'd latch on to your mates and sort of who you want to hang around. And Racing's become so competitive now where you're not really friends with anyone because they'll stab you in the back as quick as they can to steal your ride. So. I got a few my best mates, a couple of them who you know I do anything for. I mean, same for me. And then I'd call probably every other jockey acquaintances um, <laughs> because I've been stabbed in the back by them yeah. a lot. And that's I was always told. Christian Reith used to tell me all the time when I was in New South Wales. He said, "You've got to get some dog in you. You've got to fight for these rides because that's what you've got to do now. You've got to kiss ass." And I wouldn't do it. It's just not who I am. No. Um, I prefer to let my riding do the talking. And these days, I mean, I've won a race on a horse and before I've got to the mountain yard to get off, a jockey has rung that trainer and I'm getting off and can hear them on the phone to another jockey because they want to ride at next start. Ben Thompson did it with Chinny Boom. He said he'd rung up Ash Butler one on it, Justin Stanley, these good blokes yeah. who can ride winners in Brisbane. Ben come out and said it in an interview on punters that he was on the phone almost before the horse crossed the line to get on it when it come to Brisbane. So it's that level. It's of that the, level. It's so that why level would you want to be friends with people like that? You know, we're all trying to make a living out here. But isn't that weird? Like, oh, man, you're all trying to live in, but you just don't understand, like, you're stronger as one. 
Yeah. You're stronger as one. And if you can control the narrative and, you know, share it around, like it's going to benefit everyone in the long run. I don't know. That is a funny dilemma. Like, do you have that ruthlessness and like, I don't give a fuck and go through life and, and be one of those people who have all the accolades, but nobody likes and you're happy with yourself? In Melbourne, one of the best we'll ever see Hall of Fame writer who has no friends. Craig Williams? I'm not going to say his name, but it's not Craig. But <laughs> I'm going to rattle to, off names. Let's go. <laughs> to get to that level, yeah. you've got to burn bridges. You've got to hurt people. You've got to do whatever it takes to get to it. As you get older, that's fine when you're young. You think, you know, you've got all these friends because you're riding all the winners and that. Yeah, but, you've got to be ruthless. And, yeah. And, fucking- and so when you're younger, all the leeches and that hang off you because they want to be like, oh, I'm friends with such and such. But then you get older in life and all those people start to fall off. And then you realize you've got no one. Yeah. Whereas I don't want to be like that. I'd rather, you know, I've been successful. I'm not happy with my career so far because I want more, but I can't complain with what's happened. And at the end of the day, I've got my best friends of forever sort of thing. You know, I don't have leeches hanging off me because I pretty much tell them to go get stuffed. I don't want people like that in my life. But You know, another industry like that, surf. The yep. surfing industry, like I, I love surfing with my mates. I love competitive surfing with my mates. But then all of a sudden, as I, as I did more competitions as a grommet, I was like, I was like, well, not, you know, it's driving us apart. And we're all like unreal mates growing up from eight, five, or whenever we started surfing, all the way to about fifteen. And then it was starting to pick you apart. And then you were like, we we're rocking up to surf comps together, but. I was pulling them apart along the way. Like, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to do this. We're going to do that. I'm going to win this comp and end up like I'm not friends with half of them anymore. And yet like that surfing community. So this is where the surfing community, like it differs. And there is a huge difference between free surfers and competition surfers. And some of the best surfers in the world are free surfers. Some of the best surfers in the world are competition surfers as well. That ruthless. And look, I love doing comps. I love winning. That's who I am. It's what I love doing. But also, that level of just sitting out there with your mates and surfing for six to eight hours is, it's such a different feeling. I guess when you're winning world titles and that, that'd be a different feeling compared to winning, you know, local comps or, or something like that. But that sitting with your friends or going for, it'd be like you, if you, all your mates jumped on a horse and went for a ride. Even in the races, like if you're right beside your best mate, and this used to happen all the time on the Gold Coast here, one of your best mates, Aunt Alan. He was another, I think he might have run second in the premiership to me. And the amount of time, like we're best mates, the amount of times we'd be next to each other in a race and it was just nice to be next to him. We're both on the two favourites, both giving them good rides and you straighten up and it's a little like, come on, come on, boy, like come who's going to get this? And then we'll start roaring and driving them out. But it, And then you come in and whether you win or not, you're like pissed. It's like, fuck, I didn't, you know, I didn't win. But you're genuinely yes. happy because it's your mate. and. Before I fell the race, before one of my other good mates, Baba Tilly, won. And I was standing out there screaming, jumping up and down on the fence. Like I was just wrapped for him that he got it. And then when I rode my winner, he was the same. He was behind me cheering for me, like, because they're genuine friends. And then a lot of other people, you ride a winner and you walk in the room and they're like, oh, well done. And it's not genuine. They yeah. don't mean it. Yeah. They want to be on your horse next start. You know, yeah. they're pissed they didn't ride it. So, yeah. and shout out to Baba Tilly. He's been doing a lot of work, man. He's been traveling. Yeah. He's been putting in the hard yards. He's been banging some winners too. He's got to. He's getting married, mate. <laughs> that <laughs> stuff's expensive. Hey, isn't it weird? And I notice when good jockeys get on fire, I've seen Huey or someone get on fire before, and I'm like, oh, Bobby Alyssa. He is a great 
depiction of this. Like if Bobby was going away overseas or going on a holiday, I'd back him for the last four weeks because he'd put everything into it because I know he'd need 20, 30 grand for wherever he's going or whatever he's doing. And he would bang winners like, no, tomorrow. Like it's how funny is that when there's a different motivation level? It's like when jockeys (laughs) have kids. Yeah. They just seem to go next level. Like after they've had a, a child, the next few months, they're airborne. Like you cannot beat them. doesn't no. matter whether they're on a twenty favourite or a $21 chance. They just lift all these things and you're like, mm. I don't know what it is. I feel like, I, in my opinion, it's like a mental thing because they've got 100%. something else. Like it's more important now. The family's more important or it's got their mind off the racing and away from it. Yeah. So you go out there more relaxed, more comfortable. You let things happen because it's like winning's not everything. I've got a family that's more important to me. Yeah. And then things fall into place for you because you're not overthinking it. You're just letting the race unfold, riding the horse for what it is instead of some jockeys, you know, you get out there and they're not necessarily riding their horse. They're riding to beat you. And that's how I won a premiership at the Gold Coast because I could see what they were doing. I'd let them do it, but it would stuff them up and I'd take advantage of it and then I'd yeah. go straight past it. So, the art of war, look at yeah. that, getting in their psyche and stuff <laughs> like that, making yeah. unforced errors. How good's that? And, hey, speaking on that mentality, we go, you know, we go, he went on that run. He got, got like 28 winners out of 40 rides or something like that. It was insane. Just finished David Goggin's new book. I rang him. I was <laughs> like, I sent him a paragraph because I just finished it as well in yeah. Never Give Up. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. He goes, man, you wouldn't believe it. Like, I just finished the book as well. And then I had a two weeks up of like that insanity. He was on like he's on a couple of good favourites and, and travelling all around, but you couldn't beat him. Man, like it was Jag and him were racing at the Goldie and Jag was on a better horse and stuff like that. And he looked at me after the race and Wigo's coming in first and yeah. Jag, Jag looks at me and goes, he's too good. He's yeah. just on fire. And like, but it's weird how you speak of that mentality because it does. And this is what I was talking about 10 minutes ago is trying to plan that high and low around what you're doing and racing being 24-7, 365, like you said. All right, back to the Trav story. We're in hospital. We've broken leg. You're having all that rush of emotion of, of what's going on. What am I going to be able to do? Am I going to be able to walk? How's this going to pan out? What does your next couple of weeks look like? like? Are you back up in bed? Are you in braces? What's happening? Yes, I was in like the hard plastic neck brace. I was up in the hospital for about a week, up at the uni there, sort of bedridden, couldn't do anything. I like, couldn't even get up to, to go to the bathroom or anything. So it was quite hard and then they come in after a few days and I didn't have to learn how to walk again but I sort of did you know I had to get the like the walk and trolley sort of thing and then start to take you know step out with that to like hold your weight yeah just with the injuries and that I'd lost a bit of muscle a bit of strength and just the memory of it I, I knew how to walk but it's like it's not happening you know like I'm trying to walk normal and you're just sort of creeping forward so we just go out of the room and back in and then it was out of the room halfway up the hallway and back until I could sort of get all the way. And then the old man and Bubba come up and picked me up from the hospital and took me home and dad brought me a recliner because I couldn't get into bed. The first night I got home, I tried to get into bed and I was just in pain. It was agony. So it brought me a recliner and I lived on that for about four to six weeks at mum and dad's. Obviously I couldn't be home alone. So lived on the recliner. It sort of come all the way up and I'd stand into it and then it'd lay all the way back down. And um, I thought one of the hardest parts for me I suppose was I'm 28 years old with a big neck brace on standing there butt naked while my father washes me because I couldn't shower myself so that was a bit humbling I suppose like that wouldn't have bothered me one bit I come from footy sheds where you run around nude yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah dad dad come get in here I can't reach so 
fuck, that's intense. So have you got a rehab program by now or what are they doing? Or are they legit just telling you you need to heal? So I've gone through multiple sort of plans and stuff. Like I think it was about three months after I was starting to get around good by myself and move back home on my own and that and was ready to start some rehab. So then I started doing exercise physio twice a week. I was seeing a physio once a week. So sort of every second day I was doing something. I was seeing like masseuse and stuff, just trying to get the muscles to relax around the brakes because obviously you've broken everything, contracts and gets tighter. So we're trying to loosen up those areas and then build them like muscles around the brakes and stuff just to get me back to us, you know, hopefully as fit as I could be to get back on a horse. And so that was a few months of that. And then I went back to riding. There was no doubt in your mind. You're like, all right, when can I get back to work? Yeah. And I hate having time off. So three months in, I told everyone I was going to be back in a month. And then it's three months later, I said, I'm going to be back next month. Like I just wanted to get back on a horse and everybody, you know, people tell me you'll never ride again. And I want to get back and prove all the doubters wrong that I can ride and you know, I'm going to ride winners. There's no doubt about it. Like I can do that for myself. I want to prove that I can do it. So yeah, I tried to come back and I got, I made it to track work and I just got to fast work, but the back just wasn't holding up. I sort of, it might've been a bit soon, but you've got work cover on your ass, you know, trying to get your back as fast as they can as well. And through the whole period, I always watched my weight. Like I only blew out to 64 because I still watched everything I ate and trying to keep the weight as manageable as I could. And so then the back blew out. So I had to have another month off. And then I came back, made it all the way to trials, hoping to race ride Melbourne Cup day. But then my neck just stiffened up and I couldn't see to the right. So obviously it's a safety issue. I can't turn my head. I can't see horses inside me and that. So I had to have another couple of months off to work on the neck. And then since then, we've sort of fixed the back, fixed the neck now. But because they were the main injuries, the other one sort of got pushed aside. So then as we started to heal those and the pain from them lessened, then I had right knee problems and right shoulder problems as well. So, And I think that too was because the left side of my body was injured. When I was riding, I was favoring the right side which, to get away from that pain. 150%. Yeah, which caused more yeah. problems. And Isn't yeah. it weird how your body just protects everything that you want and then it'll pull you out of line, it'll line you up. And look, I just spoke to my brother. He's doing like a course at the moment, different sort of training mentorship he did a podcast with us and it's all about that movement and all our movements are designed you know not to hold us in a line or turn on our transverse muscles or anything like that it's just solely to uh they just overcompensate left right and center yeah. and so that's what's happened so you isn't it weird like you you think you're getting one thing right and another thing goes or and it's just like maybe rushing and a plan it, and this is in hindsight i'm an idiot i came back from a shoulder dislocation when i was like 21 after two weeks and yeah. played queensland cup football again it's like, just athlete mentality it is. like it's we all stupid. we get hurt and we want to be back you know if an office works it gets hurt they want as much time off yeah. as they can but as an athlete we snap bones tear ligaments do all sorts of damage and we want to be back to work and it's sort of like you're chasing that high that adrenaline rush from what you do we all love it so that's right. If you're on a mine site and you did that, you wouldn't be back to work for four years. Yeah. I'd be like, no, 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 no. And then they do a scan on you. Oh, what? Your little finger's still a little bit tense? No, no. Yeah. Another six weeks. It's insane what people go to. But I don't know, like, okay, maybe rugby league, maybe uh, high-intensity sprinting sports and stuff like that. 
yeah, those high intensity sprinting sports are much more, you know, young generation and that where race riding and long distance running or something like that, it's more preparation and more how you manage your body and the smarter you get, the better you actually get. You don't need to be as sprinting athletic. Like you don't need to be able to run 100 meters in 10 seconds, but you need to be strong within your body in every part of your body. Like you said, your knees, your shoulders, your ankles. When you ride, your whole body's moving. It's not like you're moving down there. Like every little muscle, which 90% of normal humans don't use day to day is activated. And if your one's pulled out by a little bit, and I find this in distance running, if my shoes are wrong or my strike is just a little bit turned in, over 20 kilometers or over 50 rides or whatever it is, your whole body's like that. It'll go in, yeah. in no time at all. So where are you at now? At the moment, we just, I've sort of, the back injuries and the, the skull and that sort of, is healed as good as they're going to, like the bones of sort of, there's no more we can do there. I'm in pain every day because of like the back and the neck. I've lost a bit of mobility in my neck. I can't quite turn to the right the same and my sort of spine there where I broke it I don't have the same rotation that I used to have but that's just something I've got to live with but now it's dealing with the head injury that's the worst part like getting the migraine the blind migraines they call it like I get dizzy if I'm not careful I can fall over like dad's had to catch me before I just go pale my eyes go black and I'm going to collapse yeah there's a few things with the head that we're trying to sort out at the moment but body-wise even though I've got those few issues, I've been working with a really good trainer, Tom Callow at Never Quit, and he's really helped me with my body with those overcompensating, causing more problems and that. He's really switched on with athletes and understands the position that we're in as jockeys So mm. and the muscles we use. So getting me to do exercises to try and stay away from those ones and strengthen the muscles around them to try and take some of the support. Sport specifics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So And then because of the injuries too, like, if I can't do something, he'll give me a safer alternative to not cause me issues or, or flare things up. So Tom's been, been great. I've probably been with him for about six months now, which has been great. But the sort of concussion injury, that's the difficult one at the moment. Yeah, and so that's one people overlook. You look at breaks and muscle damage and that and they'll heal. But nobody knows much about brain injuries and people probably don't care much about them either because you can't see them. That's exactly right. I'm actually going through a, I did all the scans because I was struggling to grab information. Like I was speaking about this when you had your fall, we were talking about that, about grabbing information. And I was getting really worried. I was getting like, I, I spin now or I jump on a swing with Sunny, like just swing that little motion or a little round or two or three things. I'm dizzy. I'm yeah. gone. I'm like, where's my balance going? Where's, where, what's all happening? That's like, I can. As long as I'm steady with my head, I can sort of turn it left and right as long as I don't go too fast, but I can't actually sort of make my head touch my shoulder, that sort of motion. Just it's weird to describe because you can't describe the pain, but you're in pain doing it. Yeah, it's a... It is. I'm just sorry, mate. But then like with the reading and stuff as well, the memory, like I'll try and read a book and I'll read the same sentence six times because I've forgot that I've read it and then I'll read it a couple more times and then like, I don't understand... Like, what am I reading? Yeah. Like, I just can't compute it. And then it's like, okay, I just need to like step away for a minute, just try and think about nothing and yeah. then come back to the book. And So it sinks in. It's not yeah. that you're not reading it. It's not that you're not hearing it. It's just that it's not staying or yeah. you're not recording it. Because obviously you came to me bucks with your ear open. So that was all part of the brain and relieving yeah. pressure. And We think when I hit the ground, because I hit 
with such force it ruptured because footy players can do it as well in a tackle and stuff. Mm. You get hit, you can do it. So yeah, with the, the amount of force I hit the ground with, it ruptured it. So within the last 12 months, I'd had five year infections for no reason, you know, and that would affect my balance. And then it was affecting my hearing. And so that was something, you know, I, I had to get fixed because I sort of can't live with that. I always had ringing in my head. And then obviously you get any sort of water in there. There's another infection because of it. And so, yeah, it's just sort of been a problem over the last 12 months, but hopefully we're coming towards the end of it. Like I feel like I'm doing the right thing. I listen to the doctors and seeing the right people. And especially one of the doctors said to me, like not eating properly and still dieting to try and stay at race weight is affecting your recovery because you're not giving your body everything it needs to recover. Yeah, you don't have the macronutrients, you don't have yep. your daily nutrients, you don't have the protein mm-hmm. for your body to break it down and get it to the areas that you need because you being in writing, like you said, you're consistently depleting yourself of a lot of that stuff. Yeah, it's just been, I'm eating a little bit more, but I've always was trying to eat the right things, but it's just trying to eat every two to three hours, have a good meal with like 20, 30 grams of protein, little fat. It's just trying to be good with it. And since I've done that and stopped worrying so much about getting heavy, the weight sort of neutralized a little bit. I'm feeling better. The body's better. The training sessions are getting better. Obviously, I'm not hitting PBs out there and stuff because the body is a bit restricted to what I can do, but I definitely feel a lot better physically at the moment. So we're hoping a return's not too far away. But I think that's definitely one thing that you need to clear your head of is not trying to be who you were. You don't need to chase, this is where I was, this is where I need to get to, that's where I need to be. That's not the mentality. It needs to be, I'm back, I'm better than yesterday. Now I just need to be better than yesterday again. I just need to be moving forward and just basically forget where you were and start again. Because if you get that back, oh, king of the coast, Travi Wolfgram, I need to get back there. If you fall short or anything of that, you're going to be off yourself. You're yeah. going to be like, hold on, hold on. I was riding winners. I was doing this. I was banging this out. Why isn't this happening for me again? Why isn't it? And it's legitimately because you're not there. You can get there. I speak about it in numbers all the time. If you're setting yourself, I call it point zero. I don't know how many times I reset myself, point zero, point zero. Every time I fuck up, I go back to point zero because now I'm moving forward in a positive manner. If I don't reset back to point zero, my goal or my standards are here and I'm back down here at minus 100 or something. It doesn't matter if I put in six weeks of energy and I increase how good I'm going by 60%. In my mind, I was still 40% behind where I should be and my standards. Now, you're always living in that negative state where if you put it at point zero and you did a 60% effort, now you're 60% ahead of where you were. Your your mentality and everything changes on where you are, where you should be. So if that's one thing that I can say to you is don't chase. Don't chase that for yourself. Don't set yourself new goals, goals based on what you have previously done. Start sending yourself new goals on how you're going to attack this. Where do I need to be in two weeks? Good way to look at it. Well, it's like when I won the premiership here that year. I had no goals. I just moved back from Sydney. I just wanted to see my family enjoy life a bit more. And I come out and won a premiership and it was never my intention or it was never a thought to do that. It just happened. And I feel like that's the best you're right. It's like, I feel like I've ridden really good in group one races before because I find there's more pressure in class ones and, you know, leading up to the big races because there's so much pressure because owners and trainers want to get this horse into this race. Yeah. So if you lose today, we don't get into the race and that. So there's a lot of pressure. But when you get to a group one, you've made it. The pressure's off. The horse is already in. As long as I ride it good, yeah. it's going to run as good as it can. So you go in there 
you know, you want to win, but I'm not setting myself a goal to win. I'm like, we've made it to the race. Yeah. What will be will be. I've got a clear mind. Let's just ride this horse good. Yeah, because you and still then, need the stocks. Yeah. So that's the weird thing about being an athlete. You have to be an athlete. You have to be strong. You have to be fit. Riding a horse and holding on for that long, you're blowing at the end of it. People don't understand that. It's not just like, hey, I'm going. It's bang, pushing movements like over 60-second high intensity the whole time. Well, I've come in after races before and collapsed. Yeah. Like just passed out because you're that exhausted from riding out there, you know, from anywhere from a minute up to two and a half minutes you'll be on the horse or in the race and it's that exhausting. Like You're not – so on. for everyone listening, just describe how you're actually holding on. You're not sitting on a saddle on the back of a horse relaxing. You've got your, your toes in the saddles, you're locked in, you've got reins. What part of your bodies are activated? Oh, so you're using – your irons are minor about probably the width of a thumb and you've just got your toes sitting on them. So all your pressure, like there's a lot of weight in your lower body. So you've got pressure just on your toe where it's holding your full 60 kilos up. Then your ankles, because of the position you're in, your knees, your calves are working, your quads, your hemis, that's all working. Because we're bent over, your core's engaged. And then when we hang on to the reins and pull against them, you're using triceps, you're using shoulders, you're using your back, your pecs even. And then when you pull the stick, you're moving that arm in that motion so that brings more of your shoulder and your pecs stretching out and your back's contracting. So, yeah. And then when we're bent over too, our neck comes up. So we're using our neck as well to hold our head up so we can see where we're going with a helmet on our head that weighs a kilo. Man. So it's pretty much every bone in your body. And then your fingers because when you hold the reins, they go sort of between the thumb and these three fingers and back around. So you're gripping on like this. So you've got all these fingers engaged as in a pulling motion and your pinky sort of pushing that way against the rein. If you're listening at home, just hit back, back, back by about 60 seconds and go through that motion on everything that Trav just described. I just did it. My toes were curled. I engaged my calves. Like I'm squeezing my knees like as if I'm against the horse. I turned on my core and then I grabbed my pinkies and I'm pushing against it and going this way. And holy fuck, imagine doing that. And then your last hundred, when you're trying to get it home, you're just like pushing down, feeding like, man, I legit, I'm, I'm, in, I'm the 10 star for it. was actually funny watching you do it. <laughs> yeah, I was like trying to get the whole motion, the whole feel of it and everything like that. Wow, man, that's intense. So that's crazy. Like you said, like it's a weird sport because you have to be that athlete, like we were just speaking about, and everything you just described then and everything that I just activated then, it has to be in tip-top shape to be able to do that consistently. But you still need that stock. It's all about the stock. I've still seen need the stock. Great riders riding slow horses at tracks they should not be at, and I've seen jockeys win Group Ones and riding at Randwick and Melbourne and Brisbane on good horses who they should, and, not, be they should not be there because <laughs> I can get myself in tip-top <clears throat> condition. And if I was in any other sport, like Jags, pretty dedicated. I'm pretty dedicated. You know, if we were sprinters, we're 50 metres in front of every other jockey in the room. 100%. Because it's not about us, it's about the horse we're on. Everyone sort of in the room has a chance to do it and it doesn't matter. Like there's some people who will have McDonald's on the way to the races and they'll have hot dogs and they're drinking coffees with sugar and milk and all these things. And then me and Jag are having like avocado, steaks, uh, some banana, steak yeah. the day before, the day of we're eating like a bit of watermelon maybe some chicken or, or some gym. fish like and every day like I'm at the gym every morning and every afternoon before I got hurt I mean I went for a run with you at 3am we were starting to get into that like every day I'm 
if I'm not on a horse, I'm at the gym, I'm training, I'm running, I'm walking, I'm boxing, yeah. doing something. And to then, find that edge, and then you edge get within others. yourself as yep. well. And I was happy to do that, and I had to do that to keep the weight down. Yeah. But I enjoyed that side of it being sort of in- Makes it, you happier, doesn't it? It does, yeah. So I took pride in that, and some jockeys get into the room, and they're talking about some Netflix show I've never heard of, and they've sat there and binged it all weekend and ordered pizza that night, and- then they rock up to the races with their little muffin tops and like soft bellies. And it's like, how the hell? It, it's frustrating because you look at them going, like, oh. how are you beating me? I'm the better athlete and I'm getting beat by someone with like a muffin top. Yeah, like, yeah. You don't understand Mate. it, but it's all about the horse you've got underneath you. And look, I, uh, I went to boxing after rugby league as well because I had the shits with a team sport or a coach that needed to select you, even though no matter what I did. So there's a few situations in the Queensland Cup when I was playing in the Queensland Cup where I got dropped from sides because of the NRL players were coming back down into the start. So they had their top 23, 17 play. Obviously, if no one was injured, six would come down and six of us cut players would then get relegated again. You know, in the positions that I, I was playing, you know, that have backup, five eights, halves, locks, whatever. It didn't matter how good I played the week before. I could have been man of the match for three weeks in a row. If those players were coming back down, I needed to make way for them yeah. and that whole system. And look, it is what it is. Don't get me wrong. I'm not whinging or complaining. I had a sensational career surrounded by amazing people and I wouldn't change any other thing other than maybe shut my mouth every couple of times and just, you know, doing the no, work. Well, we've all got that problem, mate. Yeah, doing I've the work. a few bridges. <laughs> yeah. Look, but that's hindsight when you're young, dumb and full of cum. Like, fuck, mate, you think you're right. You know what I mean? 23, 24, fine, fit, full of testosterone and the hunger and want to get there. Now I sort of look at it yeah, a bit differently. I'm like, oh, fuck. It's a weird sort of situation. And if you go into an individual sport, like, cause I went to boxing after that, it was all on me. If I fucked up, if I got knocked out, if I got or lost, yep. there's zero people to blame. I mean, boxing is probably not a good example because there's been so many robberies yeah, within yeah. boxing and point systems, but you know, within yourself, your effort. So even if you lose on a scorecard or something like that, a lot of fighters know that they beat them up and they won. So the scorecard doesn't always replicate the justice of the feeling inside of what actually happened. And I think individual sports and, and when you put in that much of an effort is also a good, and this is where I get a little bit of respect for cycling and, and swimming. And cause at the end of the day, the performance is solely on your shoulders. You know, those individual sports, those triathlons, like, yes, it's a team sport and you need everyone, you know, your backup crew, your paces, your trainers, your coaches and all that to get you there to the day. And the victory doesn't solely lie on you because there's so much preparation that goes into it but the performance on the day and your mentality and how you deliver it is solely on you and that's what i love that sort of battle within yourself is where i think we learn the most about ourselves yeah, yeah oh definitely was well, like you look like lebron james in the basketball one of the greatest <laughs> ever playing for the lakers again and he can score 30 40 points a game but that doesn't mean they're going to win yes because there's 12 other guys on the team who haven't lifted yeah. and done their job. You know, like there's no I in team sort of thing. No. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't matter how good you play. You know yourself you did good, yeah. but unless everyone else around you plays the same, you can't win. Yeah. So that's where the individual sports. So what, how long do you reckon you're going to keep riding for? Forever? Forever. <laughs> Forever? Until you uh, die, whichever um, one comes first? Yeah. Riding will probably kill me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's from a fall or the wasting or, yeah. or something. Yeah, riding will probably kill me before old age, I'd say. But I don't know. It just depends what happens in life. I sort of was hoping to get as long as you can. Obviously, you want to ride yeah. as long as you can. But I sort of set a goal for 
like 40 would be good. And then see, I mean, if you've got a family and kids. Correct. Racing so risky, you've got to weigh up the risk reward. Is it worth me getting hurt and missing things with, you know, if I had kids, for example, is it worth getting injured and missing out on things with their life mm. for what I'm doing? It's like, so well, yeah, you've got to put, I am that sort of person where family's got to be, be first. And if this is affecting like my family life, it's probably not worth doing it. But while I'm fit, healthy, I mean, I'm a single man. I can do whatever I want. I've got yeah. no one holding me down. So yeah. I'll go for as long as I can. Go, go for as long and go as hard as you can. Yep. What else? Are you going to come on triathlons with us after? Take up surfing? What are we getting you into, Trav? So. Oh, I don't know, mate. I was a pretty keen golfer, but the head injury and that, it's just got a bit hard and the yep. back season up, I can't. You can't, I can't get that rotation and that. Yeah, but I've always enjoyed motorbike riding. So I brought a road bike. So I've got my license there. So if I can, every few Sundays, I take it out to through Narang, out to Bow Desert, down Springbrook. That's been a good bit of fun. Like it's the only adrenaline rush I can get that I'm not on a horse is to throw 80 horsepower between my legs. That's what I was about to say. Out of the, what's that saying? Out of the pot and into the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. I'll get off the back of this horse and I'll just go faster with a more powerful thing over some jumps. And well, you're a risk taker. I'll give you that much, mate. So anything else you want to add? I mean, thank you for taking us on this journey and I can't wait to see you back at the races. I legitimately can't wait. I'll go there. I'll be there the first ones and I'll be there when you start winning again. I just hope that you stick to that process and not set yourself. I know you and I know motivation you'll want to come out and ride 10 winners on the first day, even though there's only eight races and you've yeah, only got five we'll rides. Afterwards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Start going around the track, just cheering yourself home. You're like, drive, drive, drive. But yeah, stick to the process. Don't pull the trigger too fast. Like you said, if your plan's to 40, you're 28, we've got a couple of weeks. We've got a month off our sleeve, you know. Plan it out. Be meticulous. And yeah, um, yeah it's so good to have you back on the coast and, and looking good and fighting fit. And yeah, man, I'll be there all the way. So yeah. stoked. Sounds good, mate. Beautiful. All right. Thanks for listening to Any Given Chance, guys. That was Travi Wolfgram. I'm going to stay on the journey. So, you know, we're going to get him back on in a month. We're going to get him back on in a couple of weeks. We're going to show all that. And you can check out all his content as well. We're going to put that, the fall that you can actually see on the track up there. We're going to put a bunch of other sort of media that we've got off him of him riding and doing a few other sort of daredevil things as well. So if you want to check out that content, you can jump onto YouTube or you can find us at both our handles on our socials, which are, we're concentrating on Instagram and TikTok only at the moment. So it's at any underscore given underscore chance underscore podcast. A lot of underscores. That was a mouthful. Any given chance podcast with underscores in there. I don't know. I didn't set it up. I'll blame you for producer <laughs> over that. But yeah, go check out all that, mate. And if you're all out there, make sure you give us a like and share as well. This is how we grow the community. You know, we plan on doing a hundred podcasts of just family and friends. So Travi, if you know anyone as well, who's got a good story, get him in here. It could be anything. We just want to talk and, you know, that's how we come better. I, I still 1% off you, off your training. And then I implement it in my life. Like I'm already motivated as fuck listening to, you know, your rehab and where you're going. That's what we want to do within podcasts. So if everyone just takes two seconds out of their time, you know, to, to build this, to hit like and share, and you can see all the little 10-second reels and all your little gimmies on our socials, that'd be much appreciated. So, all right. Cheers. Nice. <laughs> Wow, that was the Any Given Chance podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Now, if you want to see some more action, head over to our socials and give us a like, share, and subscribe. We're on YouTube at the Any Given Chance podcast and on Instagram and TikTok at Any Given Chance. And if you can hit share and subscribe, 
much appreciated as we grow. Plus, we're always looking for new guests. So if you know someone in the midst of it battling a good little bit of adversity or someone who's been successful, message us direct. We always check out inbox. And of course, if you want to check out old episodes, repurposed ones, you can jump over to our website, which is anygivenchancepodcast.org. Thanks for joining us once again. I'm your host, 3AM365, Matty Menion. No days off, no excuses, and I can't wait to catch you on the next one.